This is Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com. And now here's your host, Steve Teal. And so I want to say hello. I want to tell you, watch this interview or catch the podcast if you can't watch the entire interview. I want to tell you a little bit in just a second, uh, update on Peanut Butter Bowl. But first, I want to say this. We are interviewing Frank Tate. He's the author of Time Machine's work. The subtitle is Using the Pain from Your Past as Rocket Fuel for Your Future. Time Machine's work, Frank Tate. This book, I'm on page 174 of 275, just started reading two days ago. It's awesome. It's awesome. You want to hear these stories. You want to read these stories. Go ahead. Christmas is, uh, man, it's coming. It's right here. Go ahead, even before you hear this interview, go ahead and order your copy on Amazon. Time Machines Work, Frank Tate. You are not going to want to miss these stories and these insights, whether it's about parenting, whether it's about just helping people, loving people, understanding their story. It is both um, both heartbreaking and heartwarming, and uh, it's just incredible. So can you just trust me that you want to hear this interview or trust me enough if you're just in a hurry? Just go ahead and get this book. Let me say hi real quick to Frank Tate just to prove that he's here. Frank, how are you doing, man? You're doing great, Steve. Thanks so much. Thanks for not hanging out. What an honor to be here. (laughs) Thanks for – during that and during the prayer off air, thanks for, you know, not just heading off to surf or something with your daughter. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm good. I'm good. uh, (laughs) Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really – I can't – I'm having trouble finding the words. That's why we're going to do this interview because this this story and this book is so compelling – so I'm looking as deep into our camera as I can just to say that. Uh, and I'm going to let Frank tell you some of the stories. I want to just quickly, there's a little bit of a segue. If you've been following um, our mission this year with Peanut Butter Bowl, Frank, the long story short is through these football games, we collect peanut butter to feed hungry children in and around San Antonio and hungry adults in uh, outlying areas of New Braunfels and Seguin. And uh, tonight is our last peanut butter bowl. We wound up having six this year. And tonight we're going to cross over uh, 20,000 jars, our, our goal, including. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very exciting. So, uh, yeah, it's it's really cool. And um, I'm just excited. So I want to say thank you to our, our partners, our uh, my youth group alumni that have come on board to help the Madison and MacArthur push tonight. Um, and all our volunteers and all of our partners that make Very Bold possible so we can do that. And my home church, uh, there's there's so many people. It's pretty awesome, yeah. It's pretty yeah. awesome. Uh, yeah, so that is a little bit of my segue because uh, peanut butter and a peanut butter jar is so uh, a central part of your story, um, Time Machine's work. So can I ask you to tell us about uh, the peanut butter jar in your life, if that's a good place to start? Um, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, uh, it, <laughs> or not. Uh, yeah, great segue. I've never never started with that part of the story, but that that's fantastic. You can that. start wherever you want to start because this thing is brilliant. So if you want to wait on uh, the peanut butter jar, wait. Well, I'll, I'll start by just commending you guys because I think that, that loving God by loving others is the soul of the gospel, and the mm-hmm. fact that you're taking care of the hungry. But, but when you mix the joy of giving and, and an event 
that that it's win-win. They they get to have fun for coming to the peanut butter bowl, and then you get to, to provide nourishment for for those who don't have right now. I, I totally commend you guys. That's wonderful. I, I've so. never heard of that before, but I, I can't even imagine. I don't. You know, even Costco doesn't have 20,000 jars of peanut butter, so I'm <laughs> Well, we, we collect the physical jars, and we have the online donations that then go to a wonderful ministry snack pack for kids, San Antonio and SOS Food Pantry and uh, Christian Cupboard of Seguin. So then those people can go and buy, uh, buy that peanut butter, too. So it works out pretty beautifully. Uh, uh, I mean, how, how wonderful, because since you've read the book, I mean, the, the whole... First uh-huh. chapter of, of my time machine visit, it, it stems on getting a free jar of peanut butter from a church food pantry. Right. So that's quite ironic. And, yeah. And, and uh, almost divine in some senses. But that, so what I can tell you, it, it just from an, uh, from an end user point of view, is the joy of peanut butter to a kid who is hungry is such a, it, it, it's like, you know, you can't wait. You can't believe it's such a, it, it, you know, for those that have, you know enough money to buy food. You just think, oh, it's peanut butter and jelly, whatever, no big right. deal. But when you're when you're hungry, you're just in awe of that flavor and, and that gift mm. and how much it fills you up. So I, I'm so proud of you guys for doing that. And the the interesting part of peanut butter that started in that you know the reason I started that with my book is that the whole premise of time machines. Yeah, I think before I could talk about the peanut butter, I yeah. have to give the premise of time machines. Yeah, I love it. The the whole premise of time machine started when I was in the seventh grade and, and hmm. I found it actually almost comical how many uh, guys have this similar experience of asking a girl to dance at the seventh grade dance and having some form of massive embarrassment. Occur. Yeah. And so it's really been a wonderful, um, I actually just got a text this morning from a guy telling me his dance disaster, which was, <laughs> was so funny, but, but the, um, to, to give the, the listeners a, an idea of where the time machine premise happened is that I was uh, very much a late bloomer in school, but I, I used humor to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and in seventh grade, I, I had a crush on the prettiest girl in school the whole year. And, and uh, you know, she was way out of my league. I had no chance. But but the last week of school, I had made her laugh super hard. And it, it, it you know, tricked my seventh grade mind into thinking that I had a shot. Yeah. And so at the <laughs> end of the year dance, I decided to go up and, and ask her to dance. And, and uh, I waited, you know, until the DJ said, hey, uh, the, he, the DJ had told me that the last dance would be a slow dance. And so he announced this is the last dance. And uh, so I, she was already out on the floor dancing with her friends. And I made my way out there and wow. asked her if she would dance. And to my great surprise, she said yes. Yeah. And I was in junior high heaven for all of 82 seconds. But <laughs> what I didn't know is that the DJ had played an evil trick on oh, me. Oh, man. Is that it was the song Last Dance by Donna Summers, which those of you that are in your 50s or, or older will remember. <laughs> it's only a slow song for 82 seconds. And, oh, and then the beat gosh. drops and it turns into a full on disco one. Oh. So now I find myself in the middle of the dance floor with everybody oh. doing disco moves and, and me having. Oh. Uh, absolutely zero dance skills so my buddies on the wall literally fell on the ground pointing and laughing <laughs> oh my at me gosh um so so feeling oh. like a total fool i did the only thing that my seventh grade mind could comprehend and i ditched the girl ran out the door hopped on my bike and and uh, made it all the way home where i buried my pillow on my head and uh, yeah. i was just in the, you know just that that kind of embarrassment that actually hurts yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you lost your shot at the girl. You know your buddies are going to tease you all summer. 
and that's when I decided to invent my time machine. And and in my time machine, I replayed the night, but in, in the manner of how I call it, I wish fixed it. I, I mm. played it out in the way that I wished it happened. Yeah. And in my time machine, it, you know, it was a real slow song. And, and not only did she say yes to dance with me, but then a few seconds into it, I pretended that she said that she had liked me all year and that that she wanted yeah. to be my girlfriend. And and that felt so good that I got even more creative and uh, and pictured her you know, grabbing my hand and pulling me over to my buddies on the far wall and letting them know that she was going to be my girl forever. And then in my imagination, we walked out the same door that, that we, that I had run out by myself, um, in total embarrassment less than an hour earlier. And that, that, um, just that act of, of replaying what I wished happened turned into this wonderful escape mechanism for me that, um, you know, anytime I do something foolish or, or make a mistake, I would go and put my pillow over my head and, and mm. you know, try to wish fix um, what I wished had happened. And I didn't realize what a big part of, of uh, my coping mechanism that had become. But even as an adult, I would use my time machine to pretend that I bought, you know, Amazon at a dollar or yeah. you know, bought Apple as a penny stock. And, it, you know, just kind of daydreaming on these, these different outcomes in reality. And, and they always had the common thread of making me look more cool or less mm. stupid yeah. Or um, you know, earning great wealth so that that people would think that I was smart, and uh, and I didn't really even think much about it until I decided when I turned fifty and I decided to write this book. Yeah, um, that's when I discovered that time machines actually do work, just not in the in the way that I had been using them. And yeah, but what they have become is this. It, what it's become for me is this fantastic mechanism for me to go back and revisit my my past. You yeah, know, both the the hard parts and the, and the good parts, but not to try to wish fix them, but to actually harvest the wisdom from, okay, what really happened there and, and what was going on and, and trying to figure out mainly for me, the main goal I'm trying to figure out is, okay, what can I learn about myself? When was I the happiest? When was I the most content? When did mm. I feel like this is what I was made to do? And when mm. did I feel just miserable and sad and lonely or scared? And, and to grab all of that data, yeah. And and then to use that data to use our time machines, but to use them forward, and to say, okay, I'm so happy. You know, for for instance, w- you know what I love doing. I love making ugly stuff pretty, or helping people do what they do better. So now in my time machine, and as I look back on my childhood, that's what I was doing all the time. And so now in my time machine, I'm thinking, okay, in three years, I want to be doing way more of what I love doing, mm. and way less of what I hate doing. Yeah. But what I've found is the curse of the 21st century is that we can be so busy that we're no longer productive oh. and that we can give our time away to our screens instead of taking the time to go back and to harvest the wisdom from our past and, and to use it as a catalyst to have a better future. That's so, good. So that's where the whole title of, of Time Machine's work come into play, because I now believe with all my heart yeah. that Time Machine's do work if we use them properly. Yeah. But the, the key that I learned in, in all of my research, it took me four and a half years to write this book. Yeah. And what, what I've learned is that the, the, the bulk of us as humans spend far more time mourning who we're not rather than celebrating who we are. Mm, mm-hmm. and, and, that, and I think social media has you know, been a 10x uh, you know, multiplier on that. Because right. Well, you know, you see the kids scrolling and they'll think, I'm not this cool, I'm not this pretty, I didn't get invited to this party. You know, so they're always talking about what they're not, 
but they're not taking the time to focus and say, but wait a second, you know, I love doing this, or I'm really good with kids, or I'm really good with numbers, whatever it may be, yeah. where they're actually celebrating, well, yeah, I'm not good at what that person's good at, but I do love doing this, yeah. and so I'm going to celebrate that about me. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's gold. Keep going, man. <laughs> yeah. So to the listeners, what I, what I would, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it's hard to cram a, a whole book into one radio show, but this is what I've learned, is that every one of us is a one-of-a-kind creation of God that is amazing. Yeah. And that we all have some kind of a superpower. We're all really good at something. Mm. But the, the human condition tends to think that what we're good at is not important, and it mourns that we're not good at what others have. Yeah. So, so that's why we, you know, we'll celebrate a rock star or celebrate a sports star that we think they have this amazing life. Right. But having worked in the music business for over 20 years, I can tell you that those artists are, are doing the same thing, and they're wishing mm. that they were or, you know, this or more of that. Right. And it's this really bizarre human condition. And uh, and what I what the, the book taught me is, is just that we have this incredible opportunity for almost a reset yeah. of saying, look, I'm going to revisit my past, and I'm going to look at all those painful times, and I'm going to learn from them. And then I'm going to look at the things that made my heart sing and the things that gave me joy, and I'm going to try to celebrate those and do more of those in a manner that, that, you know, makes my heart sing. Yeah. So the, the second premise from, because the book started out to be a parenting book, and yeah. I, I, you know, I, I wanted to, to help people, you know, I, there are so many people like me who had a pretty rough beginning and a pretty tough start, and yeah. I think that we subconsciously feel like we're disqualified from being a great parent mm. because we, you know, we didn't get a great parent. Yeah. And so I, I set out to write this, that parenting book and and what I realized through it is that I I couldn't even think about giving parenting lessons until I first processed how I was parented. Yeah. Because I had so many scars and, and what I call shame walls from the way that I was parented and I didn't want to just pass them off. I I have a line in the book that says I, I wanted those bad traits to die on my branch of the family tree. Yeah. And so so um so a big part of the book is readdressing the ways that I was parented and, and using you know my time machine to do so, and then learning from that and growing. But what I would tell to to your listeners there is, is especially at this time, you know, COVID twenty twenty is such a, a crazy year right now. Right. We all we all can look at it like, wow, this is the hardest year. This is so confusing. But we could also reframe it and say, wow, this this year. Uh, um, you know, has been tough, but I'm going to harvest all the wisdom I can. I'm going to help this to be the best year of my life yeah. because I have this reset. I have time at home. I'm not working. You know, I'm doing that. I'm going to learn how to celebrate who I am instead of mourn who I'm not. Yeah. So that's so good. That, um, so, sorry. So another one of the principles in the book that I would love, you know, I, I don't want to try to give it all away, but there's a principle <laughs> in there that I, I would love to, to use as a teaser is that yeah. Yeah. parenting is that we need to learn to edit our kids' story instead of author it. And say that, that again. That's so that, powerful. Just say that again. That's really powerful. Yeah. It, well, the idea that we're supposed to edit our kids' story instead of author it. What what I mean by it is is 
that what a really good editor does is that they make a story better. And they'll say, oh, man, that chapter was so good. It, it mm. held my interest so much. You were so in the pocket in that chapter. Mm. And this part wasn't so great, and maybe we should trim that part out. But, man, you were in the pocket at this great at this part. Yeah. And you're celebrating the good parts. But what I found in, in the 21st century is that so many of us parents are actually trying to, we parent, trying to help our kids avoid the pain that we experience. Okay. And we have our version of what a best-selling book is like. And oh. So we're trying to author them into our version of, of what it is, rather than edit them into the best version of their story. Yeah. And so, for instance, I only have two kids. I have a son who is an academic introvert and a daughter who is a, a street-smart extrovert. Yeah. So I love them the exact same amount, but in totally opposite ways. Yeah. Because... You know, for instance, my son was on the U.S. debate team, and, you know, debate just came easy to him, and I celebrated that about him. Yeah. But how lame would it have been if my social daughter, who doesn't enjoy academics, if I made her think that the only way to get my love is for her to be on the debate team? Right. That would be a disservice to who she is, because her gifts are far more in humor, bringing joy and bringing community to people. Yeah. So I celebrate who my son is, and I encourage him to do the academic things. And you know, he's in university right now. He loves learning. He's super gifted at that. So I celebrate that. But I equally celebrate the gifts that my daughter has, which are totally different. And and because I want them to be the best version of their story. Right. Like it, it's my opinion that that our DNA isn't going to change. That we are our DNA is the same. And as parents, we're either going to celebrate our kids into the best version of their story, or we're going to shame them into the best version of our story. And if we really want to serve them well, you know, no matter how much I, if I wanted my daughter to, to be a debate star, no matter how much I wanted that, that's not how she's wired. And so I would be effectively, you know, ignoring the gifts that God has entrusted to her by wishing that she had the gifts that I want. Right. And I just refuse to do that. But I, I think that we're accidentally doing that quite a bit and that we unintentionally shame our kids far more than we realize. Mm. And, um, and that, um, the, you know, so that's part of what the, the edit versus author premise is that, that it, it, you know, it's an honest mistake, but we, yeah. that, that, you know, I call it goodwill shaming, that we have no intention of shaming our kids because we love them so much, right. but we're accidentally trying to shame them into a story that makes our heart sing rather than, what makes their heart sing. Oh man, that's good. Frank, that is so good. All right, real quick, if you're just tuning in, the book is Time Machines Work. This is brand new. The subtitle is Using the Pain from Your Past as Rocket Fuel for Your Future. The author is Frank Tate, and he's on the line with us. And Frank, um, so many of your personal stories that you get in your time machine and go back to to glean and harvest that wisdom, they have a cinematic quality of you know, first of all, you're you're really a brilliant storyteller. I've known that because I've known you for a long time, but you've done a brilliant job of putting those words and those stories. They just kind of leap off the page to where um, you're reading the stories. They're completely compelling. All the wisdom and insights you just talked about are powerful, but to come from the place of pain and hurt and this, like I said, cinematic quality, it's like you're watching a movie of, oh, my gosh, my heart is being ripped out. 
Um, and then my heart is feeling just the warmth of grandma's hug. You know, I'm not, I don't right. even know grandma, but I can feel that hug or of you, um, man, in fear in the dark at night and all your thoughts of being abandoned or these questions. And then you like having to sneak into your grandma's room and, uh, knowing, you know, that your grandpa is, if he finds out that you're there is going to react with a negative, uh, in a negative way. I mean, it's just very, it's like compelling drama of going back in that time machine with you. So you've done a great, great job. And I feel like as people know these stories, like you, you can't put it down. The stories like lead you to the truth of, wow, I see what God and Frank did there. Um, but if you know these stories, uh, yeah, it's just so powerful. So do you mind, I don't know how hard it is for you to talk about some of these stories as it is, as it was to write down, but do you mind sharing some of that, some of that heartache, whether it was the, the peanut butter jar or whether it was, um, your grandpa and some of those feelings of rejection, do you mind sharing some of that with us? Because, I know our our listeners, you just you want this book. I, I'm just going to tell you, if I'm wrong, go ahead and email me, steve at verybold.com, or if you got my phone number like a lot of you do, 210-325-1963, text me and say, I want my money back. I will send you your money back because you're going to love this book. And the stories, um, this, this book is destined for greatness and to make an impact in the world. So it's just come out. I mean, I, I don't know how many, you know, are out there yet, but I feel honored to say we're a part of the beginning of this great thing. So I just, I'm going to encourage you, go ahead and buy your book now. I think it's fourteen ninety nine on Amazon or something like that. And uh, like I said, money back guarantee. Um, so do you mind sharing uh, some of those personal well, stories? Know? You know what I'd love to do, though. Actually, You're not going to do it. Uh, yeah, I'm going well, to no. the question a little okay. bit because here's, All right. here's the, the real truth of the book. As you, um, the the real goal of this book isn't for anybody to learn my story. Right. It's, it's for them to use my story as a catalyst for them to revisit their story. Because what I discovered. Right is that we, we we all have heard that statement, well, that's just who I am. That's just who yeah. I am. You know, and we, and we use it almost as an excuse for that's just who I am. So what what I discovered is that when I go back to the to these time machine visits, I, I realize that we have these certain days that create what I call shame walls. And and uh, for instance, yeah. one of the stories I can tell is, is the shame wall that my foster father uh, created is that, that as a, a 16-year-old, Mm-hmm. I had um, managed to, to, I started a little landscaping company, and it, it started growing quite a bit. But then I got my big break and got the chance to to work for this doctor who... Wait, 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 wait. I have to pause you. Hold on. Guys, okay. There is you have to get the book. There is so much to this story. And knowing Frank for a while since college and getting to be his uh, room dog for one year, which was incredible. By the way, in the book, you say that one of your goals about college was, I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but to have the most fun of anybody at college. And I can authenticate, yes, Frank Tate did that. That's a fact. Uh, But in the story about, God, I mean, you just have to read the book. But just to give you a little bit more, because Frank won't do it, uh, when he – He's just he's been an entrepreneur as long as I've known him. In the book, you get more of a sense of of why and some of that motivation. But uh, can you just a little bit? And I know where the shaming is going, and they're going to hear that. But 
the background of how you decided like you're good at landscaping or you're you know you're good at cleaning up yards you're good at this and so then just to to follow your mind the way God has made you that you went to this one doctor tell us why because it's frank it's incredible tell us why man oh, it, come oh, on yeah. so uh yeah well so no background so i i got um we lived in a very very blue collar um my foster home was in a very blue collar community so as i did the yards in my community they would pay me five dollars yeah and then i got a break at church because we had uh, our church was mostly blue collar but we had a couple of of people that at that time i thought they had great wealth um, yeah I, i've since learned they were you know they were just wonderful white collar people but yeah but i um one of them had asked me to come and do some spring cleaning at his house and went out and spent the whole day at his house um you know eight hour day of just just really um you know doing everything i could to make it beautiful and yeah. it was quite intimidating because i had never even been around a yard like that like yeah. his his yard was so nice it had it you know just looked super pro when i was more used to just you know grass in the front yard right so, so i um so i did that and and you know spent eight hours and i and then i was super happy with the job and when it was time to you know to he came out to you know to walk the property with me and to see if i had done everything on the list with um, which i had and but I realized at that time we had forgotten to talk about how much it was going to, he was going to charge. And yeah. so after we had walked the whole that's yard, a scary was, moment, right? Said, hey. What's that? That's a scary moment, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And as a, yeah, as a, as a, a poor foster kid interacting with my first white collar customer, yeah. it was very scary. Yeah. And, um, and he said, you know, so how much do I owe you? And I panicked because I thought, you know, just a few minutes earlier, I thought I'd done such a great job. And now I think, Oh man, I was, a poor kid asking a rich guy from you know to pay me it just it was super intimidating yeah and i just i didn't uh, you know i told him look in my neighborhood i charge five dollars and he says five dollars and for a second i thought he was being a jerk and right I, oh, I just worked all day and, and uh, but then he, he looks at me and he said they may pay you five dollars in my neighborhood uh, or in your neighborhood yeah. but in my neighborhood we pay fifty dollars so wow which then made me think he was crazy because this is way back in the you know in the seventies right. when fifty bucks was a ton of money. Right. And but sure enough, he pulled out you know fifty bucks cash and gave it to me, and I and I just kind of believe it. I thought this is amazing, and and the the key is that he said in my neighborhood we yeah. pay fifty dollars. Yeah. So as I went home and, and hopped on my bed, um, you know, to, to ponder what he had said, I I was thinking, okay, did he mean in, only in his neighborhood they pay fifty dollars? Or do all rich people pay fifty dollars? Right. And e- either way, I was kind of stuck because I didn't know anybody else in his neighborhood. And I didn't know any other rich people. Yeah. But right as I was pondering that question, my foster brother walked by, and he was having it was in the spring, and he was having this terrible seasonal allergy attack, and um, you know, and he was just sneezing all the way from the um, out in the living room all the way to to the um, bathroom. He yeah. Was sneezing, and and I I thought, oh man there's got to be a ton of rich people with allergies and, yeah. um, and you know, that, that can't do their own yard work. That, I mean, so that's I the we, thing. That's so brilliant. That just is such an insight into the gifts God has given you that you're thinking that way. Like, Oh man, there's so many people yeah. with allergies. They can't do the lawns. Right. Go, go on. This is so great. Yeah. So, so anyway, I, I thought, okay, well I need to, I, I'm going to figure out, you know, how to only reach people that have allergies. And so back then we had the yellow pages, oh, yeah. you know, this was pre Google. Right. And, um, so I just went and I, my thought was I'm going to find the biggest yellow page ad because they're going to, that's going to be the richest guy. And yeah. You could have the most, you know, rich clients. So, 
turns out that there was one right by my grandma's church. And so the next day, you know, went over there and, and did a circle around his yard and, and was so excited because his yard was in terrible shape. Yeah. And I knew I could make it, you know, that I could make it beautiful. And this is the so doctor's office home. you're talking about, right? His office? Yeah, yeah. yeah. that okay. is his office, yeah. yeah. And so I went home to strategize on, okay, how can I meet this guy and how can I, you know, get to meet his rich patients? And, and so... <laughs> I came up with this plan that I'm going to go to his office on the Monday and that I would ask, tell him that I would do all of his yard work for free if he was willing to, to tell all of his rich clients that had allergies about my services. Yes, and I love it. So, you know, so it, it's funny Gosh. because when I get my time machine, you know, when I, at 16, I didn't think there was anything weird about walking into an allergy <laughs> specialist office and asking if I could see the doctor and then offering to do his yard for free. Yeah. But as an adult, I'm thinking, okay, that was, that was a little bit crazy. That was, you know, a little bit outside the box. But turns out that he was a wonderful guy. And uh, he tells me that, you know, I, I, the, the, wait, or the um, lady at the desk let me get a few minutes with the doctor. And he told me, you know, okay, I love your plan. There's only one problem. Wow. Here and it comes, said, right? You know, I, yeah. And I was like, oh, wait, what's the problem? And, and then he says, well, I... I want you to do the yard, but I can't let you do it for free. And then he says, how much do you charge for to do that kind of work? And and for me, it was just like this amazing moment where yeah. I, I um, you know, it just one of the big victories in my, my young life is that I was able to use the wisdom from the Saturday where I said, well, I charge $50 for a job like that. Yeah. And, uh, mm. and he said, yep, you got the job. And, and so I literally just, I couldn't believe it because my plan worked better. I had planned on offering the rich doctor to work for free. Yeah. And instead he offers me $50 to do what I was willing to do for free. Right. So, super happy. Then I did, you know, I did a good job on his yard and you did a great job, know, right? Up. I mean, yeah, I did it. Did a good job. Yeah. He I, did a great I job. Really I got him. Yeah. I got him on this. Because he won't I love say making it. ugly stuff pretty. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. And, and so mm. I did a good job on his yard, but then, Think when I went to ask him if he would tell his rich clients, you know, about my yard work service, he asked me to work at his house. Wow! And you know, turns out that that he has this massive house up on a hill, and he had his very own tennis court. And the tennis court, you know, there had been some. We had a wet winter that year in California, and the bottom of the hill had started to slide. Mm. He was nervous that the tennis court would soon follow. Yeah. So, I, uh, so he asked me if I could fix it. I had no idea. You're 16 years old. It. You're you know, 16, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, so that that was actually funny because then what I did is I I got the yellow pages again and I called um, landscaping companies and <laughs> pretended like he was my dad and I said, yeah, our tennis court's like that, so you know I need a bid and what would you know how much would you guys charge and what would you do and the whole time I'm writing notes, okay, what's oh, the strain and what is you know drought resistant plants and you know I'm just writing notes of what they said that they would do. Wow, and, uh, and, that's and, brilliant. You know, ended up hiring a couple of my buddies and we had a blast. I mean, it was so much fun. Saving his tennis court, making that whole hillside look gorgeous. Yeah, and, uh, and and then when it was time to get paid, you know, I it, it ended up being the biggest amount of money that I had ever seen. And yeah. I, you know, I was super nervous to get in the bill because I, you know, that was just an unfathomable amount of money to me. Yeah. But when I gave him the bill, he not only he was so happy because you know what I was charging him was less than a third of what the grownups would have charged. The grownups, but it was still a fortune for me. Right. And, uh, so he not only was happy with it, but he gave me a tip and told me I'd done a great job and my buddies had done a great job. And so it was literally the happiest 
yeah. day of my life yeah. to, to get paid that much money. And I was driving home so excited to tell my Ugh. foster parents and my foster brother about it. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, pulled up in front of the house and, and I, you know, was just beaming in the ear, walked inside and, mm. and, and, you know, they could tell that I was happy. And my foster parents, you know, said, you know, how'd it go? And, and I call him grandma and grandpa. You'll see that in the book, but right. you know, grandma said she was so proud of me, which I knew she would be. And they could tell I was happy. And then, and then grandpa said, you know, well, how much did you make? And, and, uh, which I was hoping he would, right. you know, and, and so I told him the amount and, uh, and he, he kind of stopped for a second. He said, how much did you make? And mm. I thought he was like me, just shocked at that, yeah. you know, and would be so happy when I told him the number the second time he got so mad at me mm. and and told mm. me that I, that no kid was worth that much money and he couldn't believe that I stole from the doctor and that I needed to go back right now and give him his money back that 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 was just not fair and then he got up and he stomped out wow and uh, of the room and I, I just I mean talk about pendulum swing I went oh from literally the happiest day of my entire childhood right to feeling this massive amount of shame. Wow. That the, you know that my father figure wasn't celebrating what what the accomplishment I had made, but in fact saying that I had stole from the doctor, which was total heartbreak. Because I, I, you know, I knew the doctor was happy with my work. I knew I saved him money from the grown-ups. He even gave me a tip. Right. So, but as a sixteen-year-old, I couldn't believe that what I call a shame wall. Shame wall. That right. I was being shamed for an accomplishment that I was proud of, but but that. You know, my my foster father couldn't even comprehend that, and he accidentally shamed me. Right. Well, here's one of the beauties of, of how time machines work: is yeah. going back to that memory. Two two wonderful things happened. One is that I, I used to think my foster father was so mean for doing that, but as I went back as an adult, I just realized he had grown up in the depression. There was no way in his uh, ability to fathom a 16 year old making that much money. Because, you know, the depression was so brutal on his family and they barely had any food. He had to work as hard as he could just to put, you know, grain on the table. And here I was 16, making more than he had made as an adult. Um, yeah. So I realized that he wasn't a jerk. That just wasn't part of, of his story where, you know, his depression-based childhood couldn't comprehend that. So he was just, you know, transposing his story onto my story. So it really helped me to, to get forgiveness. But... What I also realized is that 16 years old, that was the very last time I ever told anybody how much money I made. Mm. And I never wanted, I, I ended up, I call it my shame wall because I, mm. I, from that point on, I never bought nice clothes. Mm. I never bought a nice car. Even our house, you know, looked super plain from the front of it because yeah. I didn't want anybody to think that I had stolen. Wow. Uh, you know, and, and I couldn't, you know, like it, it drives my wife crazy, but my, I wear white V-neck T-shirts 90% of the time. Yeah. And I, I used to just say, well, that's just who I am. But as I revisited that, mm. that memory, I realized, no, that's me hiding behind that paint. Yeah. And, that's, that, and that's where I tell the readers, I guarantee you have far more shame walls than you realize. Mm. But that, that there's two great hopes that come from that. Is one, that, you know, I can now realize that my, my foster father was truly a man of honor. And just in his honor, he couldn't comprehend that. So he wasn't being mean. He was, he just transposed the story. But the other thing is that it gave me the freedom to think I didn't go from the doctor. I, I am a win-win business person, right. but I don't have to hide 
that I have success because I, I offered a great product then and, and in all of my business dealings have offered a great product. So it, it gave me the freedom to, to realize, wow, I can, I don't have to hide behind that anymore. I can go ahead and, and just be okay with, with, you know, that I've had a little bit of success yeah. and not have to hide it. So it's, but what, here's the cool part about how the book works yeah. because again, the goal of the book isn't to know my story. It's, it's for you to learn yours. So it's, it's not the goal, the but first, it's a beautiful part of it. It really is. Go on, go on. Yeah. So, so I had, um, I asked a, a friend of mine who reads a ton to, to beta test the stories with him. Yeah. And I sent him the book before it was published and he called me um, after he had read that story, and he goes, "I got to tell you how my time machine works." And oh. and he tells about how they were super poor growing up, mm. but he took the exact opposite thing, and he hid behind only getting designer clothes oh, and yeah. only trying to have a nice car because he didn't want his friends to know he really was poor. Yeah, and so he was saying that he huh. he realized that he used fashion in the other way yeah. is to make people think he had more money than he did yeah. whereas i was using it to hide that i had had any success yeah but the the, the beauty of that um wow the, the beauty of, of of that that's what i'm hoping time machine's work does for people right. is that when you revisit your past that you're able to harvest the wisdom both the good and the bad and that you're and then to use that to to make things better for the future and to, to live a better story. And then even more so for our kids, because yeah. think about what would my journey have been like if my foster father would have had the wherewithal to say, I am so proud of you. I can't believe that, that, um, hold on. My daughter is, is, is she uh, calling or what? Me. She's trying to, she's trying to make me laugh. Yeah. She, but, is she uh, right there? That, you know, you know, she's out in the street trying to make me, me laugh. Um, so, That's awesome. But, uh, Oh my gosh! So she's is, nothing like you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's her living her. That's her gift. Um, but the um, but what would my story have been like if my foster father would have been able to say, "Oh my gosh, that's so amazing! I'm yeah. so proud of you! I can't believe a 16 year old listened to your your foster brother sneeze and and contacted an right. allergy specialist and then saved the tennis court. Right. I'm so proud of you! I can't wait to see what you do later right. in life. Mm. I can't wait to see how you're going to use those gifts to serve others." That would have totally transformed my story. Yeah. But what, what we need to realize as parents is that I would, you know, that was my gift. That was me using a sneeze to get a job. <laughs> Our kids are doing amazing things like that every day. Mm. But are we paying attention? Right. You know, like my, like with my daughter, for instance, my daughter just trying to make me laugh while I'm doing right. a radio interview. Right. I either avoided her and mad at her. Right. Or I could celebrate. Oh my gosh! I love how much joy that you bring to people. I love that that's your worldview. I love that, that that's your gift. And yeah. I celebrate that. But so many of us parents are missing this opportunity to see the gold in our kids yeah. and to see, you know, that because, so here's, here's an interesting thought for you. It's not in the book, but I actually yeah. have grown to believe that humor is the highest of the intelligences Oh, because we, we celebrate as a, as the Western world, we say if someone's smart, what we mean is that they get good grades or that they're, they're academically gifted. Yeah. But if you think about humor, humor is that you're actually thinking faster than everybody in the room and yeah. you're coming up with a clever response and that your brain is firing that fast. Yeah. And yet we get the, the huh. funny kids get in trouble in right. our schools. Right. And, and instead of get celebrated. 
Yeah. So I've learned that I celebrate the funny kids and encourage them. You know, you can use that gift to bring joy to others. Right. You know that 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 kind of charisma can make you amazing at at bringing joy to others and helping people live a better story. Right. Instead of saying, "Why can't you just get good grades?" Don't like. Right. I mean, this is such a perfect example. I'm doing a radio interview, and she's in front of the truck dancing and trying to make me laugh. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's great. So, so that. But because I learned of, of the pain of my foster father not right. celebrating right. my success, I'm not going to do that to my kids. And, right. and so I would encourage each of the, the listeners, your kids are literally a one-of-a-kind work of art. Mm-hmm. And they're, are, they're amazing at something. But are we helping them realize that? And are we celebrating that about them? Yeah. And, and unfortunately, in most cases, that isn't. It hasn't been what my research has told me. Is okay. that my research has told me that we want our kids to get straight A's, and go to good schools, and get a good job. Right. But what if their real joy isn't, you know, involved in that? What right. If, so that's a little preview. I hope it makes sense. Man, it makes a lot of sense. Steve Teal, man, I'm having a great time interviewing Frank Tate. I want to tell you, we're going to air the second part of this interview next Saturday at noon. So don't miss that. Thanks so much for tuning in every Saturday to Very Bold Radio and Podcast. And I want to remind you what Paul wrote. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are Very Bold. Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com.